Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers, past or present. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right, so we're back with another episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast, and today we're joined uh, with my good friend, Ben Martin. Say hi, Ben. Yeah, pleasure to see you guys. <laughs> to meet everyone. Yeah, so this is my first podcast that I actually get to uh, be with somebody else. Um, and not, it's not just me speaking the entire time, uh, which is pretty exciting because it's, uh, I find it's generally a lot better to actually be, uh, you know, talking to somebody uh, as opposed to me just rambling on about uh, different enrichment related things. So, well, you've obviously never done a podcast with me because there will be some rambling involved. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's to be expected uh, because today we're going to be talking about enrichment and how it has to do with uh, browse and how to kind of incorporate uh, browse into an enrichment program and kind of what the benefits are of it. You're probably wondering why have I brought Ben here to talk to you about browse. So Ben, why have I brought you here? <laughs> so I have a, I think compared to most, I have a little bit more of a background in browse. So I, I did my undergraduate degree in zoology and then I went on and did my master's degree in animal nutrition uh, with an emphasis on browse. So um, if you're ever really bored and you really wanna see a really long thesis, uh, it's the a suitability of willow trees as animal forage and their application in zoological institutions. So. Oh. That's a mouthful, but I'm sure it's very interesting. Yeah, I worked for every word of that one. That was a long one. Yeah, so as well as having a master's degree essentially in browse, um, ben, ben, have you uh, give us a kind of an overview of your animal care background and. Yeah, so so on top of this zoology degree, the master's degree, I, I've worked at small and large facilities um, in my career. I've kind of been in the zoo world for about ten years now. Um, on top of that, you know, growing up, I did kind of live across from a smaller zoo. So it's been something that I've constantly been passionate about my entire life. So uh, this has just become a continuation of it where browse really kind of took my interest early on because it is such a, a unique area that there's so much learning that can be done and so many things that you can really kind of push forward on, on you know, testing new theories and trying to figure out how it fits into your programs. Yeah. Yeah. So um it's it's pretty cool because um, well Ben is a uh, a plant nut. Um, if any of you <laughs> ever end up at Ben's house, <laughs> don't think that's gonna uh, happen for most people listening. But um, Ben's got a lot of plants, uh, so he knows a ton about plants, a ton about browse, obviously, and he has a, a pretty in depth um, experience and kind of tool set when it comes toward animal care. So we're very excited to be uh, talking browse uh, with Ben. So, Ben, the uh, so you know most people know what browse is, but why why is browse important? 
Yeah, going right for the big questions. Yeah, that's, right, right yeah, that's where bat. we should start, I think. Yeah, so, so first of all, you know, a lot of you probably do know, you have some familiarity with Browse if you're working in a zoo at all, but for those who don't, Browse is basically um, a catch-all term for the edible portions of trees and shrubs. So you're looking at anywhere from the flowers that grow on them through to bark, stem, leaf, you know, all the twigs. Um, and it really encompasses a lot. Like I like to think of the term browse because a lot of people, you know, if you type in browse into Google, it, it gets you way off track very quickly. It has nothing to do with the zoo industry. Right. I like to think of it as like you're browsing the grocery store, you know, an animal's walking through the wild. This is part of their natural diet. So say a giraffe is kind of that really charismatic megafauna example that everyone thinks of with browse. They're going from tree to tree, just like you're going down the grocery store aisle, taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You're browsing along. Um, and that's been something that's helped me keep myself on track for what browse is. Right, right. Yeah, that, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so, um, you know, obviously browse is very important for a bunch of different species, as we just talked about. But, um, you know, why do you think browse is considered enriching? Yeah, so... So first of all, I think that a lot of us in the zoo community especially understand the, the value of proper nutrition in the diet and how, how big a motivator that is for an animal. That you, there's a lot of animals out there that are incredibly food motivated. And um, I mean, you've done several episodes now on like contra freeloading and really that, that foraging time, really making sure that you're, you're engaging your animal in what they're doing and what they're eating. Um, and browse really ties into that really, really well. Like I like to think of it as a, it's a ready-made puzzle feeder. It's literally grown on the tree. So you're just plucking it and, and giving it to your animal and it's ready-made, right? As opposed to putting in lots of time and effort into a puzzle feeder, as, as much as that's great, if you wanted to simplify it right. down, right. You, you could do that with a tree and say, okay, there's, there's edible and inedible components. And I think one of the cool things about browse as well is that for each species, the edible components change, right? So it, it's kind of ever adaptable in that sense in that, mm. you know, some animals are really selective for leaves and others will literally eat the entire tree down to the stem. Right, like right. an Indian rhino, it'll disappear in their mouth. Right, yeah. It's like a wood chipper, right? <laughs> right. So, so it can be differently engaging in different ways. Um, I also like to think of, you know, if I'm looking at my favorite meal, like I don't know what your favorite meal is, but like if I'm having like a roast beef dinner here, Ooh, let's say. It's a good one. Yeah. It's less about the taste itself, and it's more about the texture. It, you know that that entire experience of what it is really adds into that that value for you. Like you're not, yeah. you don't just sit there and say, "Oh, if I could have you know my my steak or whatever in a pill, that'd be right, great." Right. You yeah. want the full enchilada there. Right. Yeah. And it's the same with animals there, where you have this tactility involved. Like there's, you know, when you look at something like a giraffe, that really long tongue. If you don't have brows in their diet or there's not that tactile component, you can get a lot of those stereotypical behaviors because I think that there is a, a fundamentally essential need to kind of manipulate and move objects and to kind of cognitively engage in your food. Right. So it's less it's less about the calories and more about, you know, how they're getting the calories. Yeah. So for humans, you know, we're in a fast food culture right now. Brows is slow food. Right. It's, it's the exact opposite of like, you know, everyone's running around trying right, to get things right. done. In a, in a zoological institution, you're really trying to engage the animal over a longer period of time because you've taken that foraging time away and you're trying to harness that back and really incorporate it into their daily life. Right. Yeah. So and you can kind of think <clears throat> you can kind of think of browse as being, um, yeah, like the slow food, whereas a pellet, uh, you know, or a cube or whatever you're going to be feeding your 
your animal when you get it in kind of pellet form it's kind of a um a like compacted calorie bomb Mm -hmm. as opposed to so you're really going to be spending a lot more time actually you know going through the process of eating the browse as opposed to just getting it from a pellet yeah and i think a lot of people too like it's easy to the, you know the cube browse dynamic there is is a little different for people to comprehend but yeah cubes are really quick right i can if, if you give an animal some cubes it's going to eat them very quickly short amount of time right but the one thing that a lot of people i don't think necessarily consider is that saliva for us plays a huge role in digestion so for an animal like a giraffe or you know i always go to the giraffe because i really yeah, enjoy them guy. yeah big giraffe guy over here herd nerd but uh for those kind of species like the saliva is actually a buffering system for them so you got to think that calorie bomb of your your cube going in even if it's got a lot of fiber to it that's fermentable and everything like that's all going on if you don't have a lot of saliva to buffer that your ph is going to like bottom out really quickly you know there's not going to be this kind of steady transition up and down for them it's going to be a huge drop off where suddenly you know all those different gut bacteria are breaking everything down really quick. They don't have a lot to work with, so that right. concentration is higher. Right. And that's where browse really kind of comes into its own, right? If, if you're slowing down ingestion and you're giving some quantity of material, and it's also good, like you're looking at these starches and fiber mm-hmm. and all that and the proteins in browse, all of that's still good for the animal. It's still a great source of that stuff. But that bulking and that kind of engagement adds to the whole flavor of the whole experience there right right and it really helps with that gut digestion and making sure that saliva is there right yeah and and i think um you know obviously in the last podcast we talked about foraging time and i think oh that's, big fan big but, fan of that one great podcast ben was actually listening to that podcast yeah. when he rolled up in his car oh yeah and, it was uh, <laughs> absolutely delightful he's done his homework um yeah i think it's uh, i think especially right now like i think foraging time and talking about these more advanced feeding concepts like contrafree loading like uh foraging time and is becoming more and more important because you know we have the research now and we have the technology and we have the nutrition science behind a lot of these animals that we don't really need to worry as much about you know is this animal getting you know this amount of nutrients because we know that we have these specially designed cubes these specially designed like feeding formulas well, for a lot of these if animals. anything you're you're probably at the point now where we're i mean we're kind of honing in on it but you, we're kind of programmed for overabundance right like this, right. this abundance of caution i mean right. we're, we're hitting a covid buzzword right now anyways <laughs> but um that abundance of caution wherever you go on diet as well is right. is present in zoos too you, you don't want to hit the exact requirements on an animal's diet. You're always going to go over a little bit because there mm-hmm. could be that day where they're just less efficient. Right. You know, they're sick. Yeah. Something goes on. You want to make sure that they're gaining right. So it's easier to go over than under. That's that's the big right, negative. especially right now. And that's kind of what I was what I was leading into is you know now oh, that <laughs> well now <laughs> that you're actually you know we're actually able to you know we know exactly what this animal needs and we're we're you know in some cases oversupplying a lot of what they need. Now we can figure out. How's, how can we be presenting this food and how can we be increasing the foraging time and increasing the amount of time that they're actually spending eating mm-hmm. and kind of getting that closer to their you know natural um, rhythms and their natural kind of day-to-day life as opposed to just focusing on uh, you know the nutrition side of it because I think you know we're we're getting very very good at that mm-hmm. so and I think Right now, especially, I've, I've kind of jumped the gun on your, your original question. Why is it so important? 
as with a lot of things, especially with enrichment design, right? You're, you're looking at like, you know, buzzwords, natural behaviors, right? right? Making sure that you're looking at life history, understanding where the species lives and where it comes from and what it's been exposed to. Browse is an integral part of that as well. And I think in a zoological setting, and I'm going to get kind of metaphorical and philosophical here, I guess, <laughs> but, but within a zoo system, uh, a zoological system, it's, I think it's so important to tie these relationships of food with animal more together than we have in the past because right. these pelleted diets were originally created for ease of use yeah uh, it was it's that lovely preservation you know you've got this beautifully preserved stuff that's nutritionally balanced and we can feed it in scoops and cute like you know easy access right. stuff the browse angle kind of ties in that natural history so much more like when you see an animal like a kudu or something eating browse as opposed to just a handful of cubes you start um you start tying in nature with animals as, as a yeah. really kind yeah. of that bridging that gap. Yeah. And I think especially in a zoological system where conservation is paramount, understanding ecosystems and the importance of ecosystems for animal health is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Side note, I don't know if you guys uh, have heard the background noise going on, but we're actually outside oh. right now. It's a beautiful November 6th day, and it's like 20 degrees right now. Yeah, and we're uh, socially distancing. We've got we are 20 feet of mic distance. between us yeah. here. <laughs> so you know, if you guys hear some wind and some background noise, that's uh, what that is. So, um, yeah, so, what, uh, so do you think the actual... Um, you know, mastication of the food is what is the source of the enrichment um, or the act of actually getting the browse. Like, Ooh, I mean, so as with it's most It's pretty things, hard to actually say for certain, but I just want your kind of opinion yeah. on it. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, as with most things in browse, I think that there is an incredible amount of overlap with everything, right? Um, I think you and I have talked kind of off camera before about like, browse as enrichment versus browse as diet right and other yeah. items as, as, you that's know, what started this podcast exactly this is kind of uh, i don't know the, in in both the nutrition side of things and the animal care side of things i think that there's there's this kind of fundamental disconnect sometimes where you'll look at something as enrichment or you know diet or this right training or enrichment exactly yeah. so yeah. like you know there's that that gray area where things are kind of lining up and it, it can be both and so with browse, it's the same thing, right? Like it's it's not just necessarily about you know mastication to use your word on it. <laughs> I threw but, in a big word, so we would. Oh, I'm going to hammer that. Home. I know Ben's going to use a bunch of big words in this podcast, so I figured <laughs> that I would throw in one. Yeah, well, it's a good word. It's a really it good is. word for this. But uh, in terms of browse in general on this, it's you know I like to think of it as it, it hits all five of your kind of key components of an enriching thing, right? You got like that cognitive engagement it's it's physically engaging this your sense are re being really engaged that way you're manipulating it like right. all of these things are integral in what browse is right, right so right. so browse has you know special smells to it it's going to have different textures you've got hairy leaves you've got rough bark you've got smooth stems you've got all these little, like flowers that are a whole different texture you know you've got all these tortoises that love mm -hmm. flowers and it's a lot of that is that that can kind of break it up easily right, right. And, and ingest it but there's also other ways that browse is used right like um there's a great article i wish i knew the name of it off the top of my head but you can send it to me i can link to it oh yeah so yeah. for the the orangutans like you know obviously primates have an entirely you know different way of doing a lot of things mm -hmm. um than a lot of other hoofstock or something but um 
this great article. It was, it was about orangutans and how they are actually using, they use leaves and they'll eat them in certain ways where they'll, they won't just bite the leaf and chew it up. They'll swallow the leaf whole of a certain tree in the wild. This is like looking at wild orangutans and it helps clear them out of intestinal parasites. Oh. So it's all about the hairs on the leaf are going through their digestive system and certainly right. clawing like it away. away yeah, yeah, raking it away. But that kind of thing is also a, a key component of this. It's right. not necessarily about just the act of eating. Right. It's everything that comes after, everything that comes before. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and right. it's a it's a constant source of engagement for them, right? right. Like when I'm bored, I'm just going to keep looking for browse because right. that's that's the ever present thing that I need to find more of. I'm, right. I'm going to want yeah, more. Yeah. It's the same, like, yeah. as with any food, right? Yeah. You've got a lot of animals that are highly motivated yeah, to that. But, right. Yeah. And especially like some species like orangutans, they're essentially living in, in oh, browse. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. they're living in their, their browse <laughs> the sources. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, kind of going on that, um, why do you think most people don't look at browse as enriching? Mm. I don't necessarily think that most people don't see browse as enriching. I think that... You know, anyone who's fed browse to an animal that's really enjoyed it, and I mean, I think we'll probably get to it a little bit later on whether or not certain animals enjoy it or not. But when you see an animal like actively picking browse over, you know, a hay or even a cube sometimes, you'll get animals that are super motivated towards browse. You can see how engaging it is. But when we talk about browse as nutrition, um, sometimes that can get lost in translation where you're like, well, this is a required portion of diet or this is kind of what's what's right, going on right, there. Yeah. And so you take yeah. that, that step back and kind right. of go, oh no, it's isolated. Yeah. Where it's one living tapestry we've got going on here. Right, right, exactly. And uh, I think that's very interesting um, what you just said there because um, especially like if, if your animal is refusing um, you know the free pellets that you've offered it and is going to the browse like that's a perfect example of contra freeloading which we've talked about mm-hmm. several times in the podcast already like it is not only is it refusing not really refusing but it's going it's choosing the browse over the free pellets that you've offered it the browse is a it's more work and the and less calories and less uh, you know satiating than the pellets but the animal still more often than not chooses the browse yeah and i think the argument over satiety is probably satiety oh yeah that's a good one yeah. <laughs> <There's> one. <laughs> but i think that's a kind of an argument unto itself because pellets as a concentrate are not going to fill you up as much whereas you know the haze in the browse is a bulking agent so it is that that feeling of fullness. right 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 but yeah definitely like i mean if you look at something like a moose even, there, there are obligate browsers in the world, right? right? Yeah. And moose are probably a perfect example of that. Um, you have an animal that has a, a really high fiber requirement. They, they, we've had challenges in captivity for a while. You get an orphan moose and you go, well, what am I gonna feed this thing? Oh, I'll use some pellets or something. They get you know incredible diarrhea. Yeah. You know, their digestive system just can't handle that, that right. small of an amount of anything that way. Right you need that kind of bulk and that constant movement through their digestive system and that high fiber to keep them going. Right. That's an obligation for them. Right. Um, right. And that's why something like, you know, not, I'm not sponsored by Missouri by any means, but, <laughs> but that's their, their entire pellet <laughs> design. Missouri's right? listening, then uh, definitely Oh, oh sponsorships drop. included, right? <laughs> definitely drop uh, Ben <laughs> a, uh, a line. But. but, but for something like them, right? Like they're, they're kind of a, a company that zoos will know. Yeah. They're, it's a pretty yeah. common yeah. company. But um, 
they have a like a, a biscuit or like it's it's a pellet for your moose maintenance, right? Right. And that's it's wood chips. Like that's kind right. of your bulking agent there right. because they it's so so intrinsically tied into their diet and what they need to survive right. that you can't do without. Yeah. It's essentially just a pellet version of browse. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. They've perfected it. <laughs> there was right. a guy at one point I saw, Again, I have unsubstantiated claims left, right? But um, there was a guy at one point that I heard about that was trying to do like a fruit roll-up style browse. Like it was, how can I make make a pellet design, but it's a fruit roll-up style that I can just roll out and it's preserved already, but it's it's got that same palatability as browse and that kind of engaging leaf effect, quote unquote. Oh, okay. But like, you know, this kind of thing is a much sought after, seldom found thing in food. Right. Yeah, you get both the calories and the filling effects of it. Yeah. So it's kind and, of a and with minimal manufacturing. Right. That's yeah. that's the key as right. well. Right. So, um, so with it being such an like kind of an, an intrinsic part of an animal's life and s- plays such a large role in their kind of day to day comings and goings. Um, is there are there any uh, particular stereotypies or signs associated with not getting enough browse? Obviously, you mentioned with the moose, there are some digestive um, yeah, factors. So, so obviously, you'll see on the back end there, there's yeah. going to be some issues. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in all its funny connotations, but uh, <laughs> but in terms of just the day to day operations there, when you're looking at some like some of these larger um, hoofstock or any of the browsers that you kind of traditionally see. A lot of it, I think, is the tactility. You'll see, you know, it's bar biting, tongue rolling. Right. Um, you'll get that kind of anxious pacing or like, you know, they're trying to travel long distances there. They're pacing mm-hmm. a little bit more. They're looking for something. Right. Um, I don't know if you've, a lot of you that might have worked with animals that are going to eat browse, when you put browse out there, you get an animal that stands still pretty quickly. Like they're they're there to engage. Right, right. Whereas when you're, you're looking at an animal that doesn't have that kind of stuff, they do travel around a lot. They're looking for something, mm-hmm. right? So... Uh, those kind of things definitely can kind of indicate that. Right now, like, in terms of the animal nutrition standard for browse, there's all these numbers that are tossed around. It's it's so generic right now. Like, there's, right. you know, Ed, uh, Eduardo Valdez at Disney Animal Kingdom. He's got, um, if you look at Fowler's Wild Animal Medicine, their chapter on giraffe, uh, it, like, he did a great job of kind of highlighting how these numbers work out. And it's like 25% of diet, ideally, right now, right. would be browse. Um I don't know that there's many people out there that have really looked at it and said, okay, 25% of diet is browse. That's a nutritional standpoint, but a functional standpoint in right, terms of behavior, right, right. Um, that's always an area of interest to right. kind of see. And like there's, you know, several zoos in the world are doing that kind of work, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's few and far between right now. And it really, it's, it's a lot of time in to really watch an animal and see exactly right, yeah, how much yeah. they're eating right, and how engaging it is. Right. Yeah. So, so obviously we need to give our animals more browse. But, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, that's so, the ideal. You know, the, the we live in we live in Canada. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> so one of the one of the big things we kind of run into uh, in Canada is you know it's we have winter, we have mm-hmm. cold winters. It's hard to get browse. You can't just go cut some cut some branches down from a tree during the winter because they don't generally have leaves. Mm-hmm. So um, silage. Oh, what yeah. is silage and how is it useful to zoos? Okay, well, I'm I might take just a little step back yeah, because absolutely. there are so zoos in North America and in Europe, there silage is one of those things that's kind of it's a hot button topic right now. It's okay. it's really really cool. I wasn't aware, but Oh, now you are. <laughs> you have no excuse. Um, but 
in terms of preservation of browse, you kind of go back to that original problem of like, you know, there are several climates in the world that, you know, and it can be the reverse too. the the desert kind of ecosystem there where you have super hot weather that just crisps everything. There's there's two sides to this. It's any condition where you have a seasonality to having edible material on trees. Right. That's the challenge, right? Everyone kind of faces is, right. you know, I can have the, I mean, there's some Southern U.S. zoos that are, you know, lapping up the browse all the time. And for them, you know, they can tune on to the next podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, but for up Northern zoos, for sure, um, that was a huge issue. It's like you've got four to six months maybe right, in a yeah, year yeah, yeah. that the you're able to harvest. Season, yeah. yeah, and then what do you do with the other six months? Right. So, you know, a lot of the zoo nutritionists that I've talked to over the years, um, you're trying to get creative solutions, right? So, you know, freezing browse, like, you know, you can right. take mass production and put it in a freezer. That's going to be very costly for you in terms of managing a freezer all winter. It's right. not necessarily palatable all the time. Right. You have to freeze it the right way and dry it first a little bit right. so that those cell membranes don't lie open. Um, so people did that for a while, you know, chopping it up into small pieces and kind of packaging it up into these ready-made packages, ready mm. to go. That's a lot of labor going in for these smaller amounts and, you know, you're still freezing it that way. So silage kind of came about as this uh, potential solution to do mass production um, of browse that you're able to preserve for winter. So for anyone who doesn't know, I, I should probably, I can't get ahead of myself here. What is silage? Uh, yeah, then? silage is basically <laughs> when you have um, anaerobic fermentation. So it's just like, it, it's a, like a, making a cider. You know, you've got this kind of brewery-esque thing. It's a, like a lighter one. It's more of a kombucha, really. Browse kombucha. Uh, a browse kombucha. Let's let's. Can you trademark that term? Really quick? <laughs> I've heard Ben say browse. I was trying to get him to say browse kombucha. Just for the record. <laughs> so the browse kombucha of it all is is pretty cool because it's it's that light fermentation that basically. So you take browse, chop it up into little pieces, shove it in a barrel or some sort of a, a container that you can seal. Right. Without all, air. Yeah, lot, yeah. No air, but compress it as much as you can to get all that air out of there, and then seal it. Right. And what's going to happen in there is that you get that fermentation. So if you leave leaves on the ground or anything on the ground, you got a lot of bacteria that's going to break it down. It rots pretty quickly, right? In that barrel, all that bacteria is aerobic. It needs air to continue that, you know, rotting of the browse. So when you put it in that barrel, the rotting's about to start, it runs out of air, and that bacteria's chain is kind of stopped. Right. And then you've got this anaerobic bacteria, like the lactobacillus and all that kind of stuff that's going to, it's a, it's a more slower to wake up bacteria here, but it's going to start the process of fermentation, you know, converting all of these uh, different components of the browse, mm. you know, the sugars and everything over. And then it preserves the browse. It drops the pH down. Um, it's going to make sure that that browse kind of, it's, it's going to kind of brown a little bit, but the shape, the texture, the taste, it's going to be preserved that way. It actually has like a, it does smell like a cider. If you get on like, yeah, ah. some of those smell fantastic. Oh, yeah, like the, apple brows. The and, apples. Mwah, I wish oh, we could bottle it up. Oh, if there was a candle that was apple silage, oh. I would, I would get it. For yeah, sure. it's it's delicious yeah. stuff. Whenever yeah. you're having a bad day, you just open up a, <laughs> up a can of that and you're good. Yeah. But um, with that kind of stuff, like so, that silage is basically when you have that kind of mini ecosystem in there with no air. It's, you know hypothetically it's it's a more indefinite kind of form of preserving browse so once you crack it open yeah you have a timeline on, on feeding it but when it's sealed you can kind of keep it stored for a while you, you you're not worried about it spoiling within the barrel right and and that's the real allure of it is that you can transport it you got these manageable chunks 
and then you're able to give it to your animal and just say, okay, this barrel has to last me the next three days, right. four days, whatever your, your climate allows. And so that's that's been such a kind of boon to the industry, right, is that, oh my God, you know, brows can be accessible for 12 year months round. of the year. Right. So it's it's just about putting production value to it at right, this point. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because and it's also way easier to store barrels. You can stack them. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a lot easier to store containers than you know stacks of like big sticks. Yeah, of and, and let's and, be honest. Like so, the difference. So you've probably heard the term silage before for traditional farming. Like agriculture uses silage all right. the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, that is fundamentally just a little different than browse silage because of the structural components, right? When you've got your when you're making silage on the farm, you've got relatively soft shelled components. It's herbaceous material, right? So it's not going to have that structure that like almost looks like a you know a Jenga game where all these sticks. Like if I cut up all this browse and I shove it into a barrel, there's still air pockets simply because you know the sticks are not right. going to bend or not going to break. There, yeah, yeah, you've got that limited compression and it creates air pockets, and that's right. why you know this silage system compressing it in the barrel is so key. You have to have a, a really good amount of pressure in there. Right. to make sure that you minimize the air whenever possible. Mm -hmm. And some people will do, like, they'll add stuff into it, right? Like, you can add some molasses or something because that, that quickly fermentable stuff right. will right. kickstart the process right. the sugars, and it will remove yeah. the air yeah, really right. quickly. So you're right. you're really kind of ensuring that you have success. Right. Um, so, so I, so, you know, uh, like a lot of people, drink kombucha and have fermented things because they're better for your... They improve your gut microbiome, and they have a lot of beneficial um, bacteria in them that help with uh, digestion and all sorts of things. Is there other benefits like that to silage that are are known, or is that kind of we don't we barely know anything about human gut microbiome? So yeah, I mean that, that's the gut microbiome you is could such assume, a right like you, something. You, I mean, is hypothetically, you can assume. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that in terms of the wild counterparts for everything, it's such a that is an industry that, or that is not an industry. That's a that's a knowledge base that I would l kill to have. Right. Yeah. That understanding yeah. of the difference between um, captive animal microbiomes and wild mm -hmm. counterpart microbiomes yeah. is so cool. Right. And there's right. a lot that we don't know, mm -hmm. and I think there'll be a lot that we don't know for some time. Yeah. Absolutely. So so we can kind of conjecture about it a little bit and say, yeah, I think that there's there's some parts to play there. Right. But I, you know, I don't think that's that's not necessarily in my wheelhouse to. Uh, yeah, to absolutely. Slow down. I was just I was just spitballing. You know? Oh no, and it's really um, cool. If anyone out there knows, I think you should phone Kyle up to do a, a <laughs> little bit of a side Please podcast do. on that. Um, so do you, so you know silage? Do you think uh, it's as enriching as regular brows? So it depends on how you make it. Um, so some zoos, what they will do is they will completely destroy that tree like there's you basically chip the tree and then put it in a barrel right and that works just fine it, it'll you know that gets rid of that structural problem that we just talked about you can compress it really easy it's still edible it's it's kind of like it's like what Missouri's doing but they do it on another level up right we're just right. chipping up trees right. and throwing them in barrels while that is one way to to look at the nutritional quality of it and you know if you want to look up any of the original articles on that that's um Marcus Klaus in Zurich, like fantastic. He turns out papers like nobody's business. Amazing to see his career go. But he's a a powerhouse of animal nutrition in zoos. And when you look at some of his early articles, like um, uh, him and Jean-Michel Hatt did an article in the early days for them on how they were gonna try and create brow silage. And they chipped a bunch of it to see how palatable it was. 
And while it was palatable, it's not as palatable as fresh browse. Right, right. Um, other zoos um, are doing more of a compression system with almost whole trees. Like you cut it up just enough to fit it into a barrel. Right. Like one of those blue, you know, the food grade uh, HDPE barrels. Right, right. Um, so you can compress it in that, you know, with a hydraulic press system or your own body weight, whatever you want to do. Um, you can compress that down in that barrel to a good degree with that and then seal that up. And that maintains that structural component because I think you and I have talked about this already in this podcast that um, that structural component is, I think, half the the allure of browse to a right, point. That's right, huge. It's, that, yeah, it's yeah. that choosing, you know, the leaf, the bark, the stem, the twig, right. what I want out of it. Yeah, it's not just browse isn't just a kind of generic food. For, there's a lot of different segments of the browse that are like individually yeah. important for the animal. The yeah. leaves, and I think, there's the buds, there's the small, And if you're smaller, able to yeah. preserve that right, for right. winter, I think, you know, all the more power to you, right? Because you are you are trying to keep browse in, in, its, in its entirety as much as possible. Right. So you're offering up the exact same thing you would in the summer. It's just with some fermentation going on. Right. And that's what, uh, I mean, and personally, that's what I like about it is that if you have that structural component, you're giving it out and it's just like browse in the summer. It's just smaller pieces, more manageable. Uh, In terms of a keeper standpoint, you're not dragging 30 foot trees around. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you're able to grab a big handful of it and toss it in and go, okay, this is in the puzzle feeder for the day. Or this is, I just put it in with their hay and they get to eat it that way. And you'll Mm -hmm. see them with a twig hanging out of their mouth trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, I do think that that's a good way of doing it, but right. that engagement factor is still there. And I think it, in some instances, like it definitely, if you do try to do browse silage at your zoo, obviously reach out to as many places as you can for consultation. Um, there's a couple different zoos trying it in the Northern US, uh, in Canada for sure. Um, and I think they're always willing to kind of share knowledge base. And that's something as an industry that we, we really need to communicate better Absolutely, with each other yeah, and yeah, yeah. kind of collaborate on these amazing yeah. things because yeah. we'll break through together. Benefits everybody. Yeah. That yeah. actually kind of leads me into my uh, next question I had, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it's a bigger question. So obviously, you know, this isn't going to be a perfect answer. But, you know, <laughs> if you were starting a browse program at a zoo, how would you start? Because I'm oh. sure there's people listening to this. They might have uh, smaller. They might be from smaller zoos. They might own smaller zoos. Yeah. How would you start if you want to implement? Oh, start yeah. implementing I, this. Well, right at the beginning, I think starting with a good team, like making sure that your team's all on board with what you're doing, is a is a key component of that. that I can't underpin that more. That that communication with everyone on your team and what you want to do and what you want to get out of it. Like create a browse committee at your zoo. Uh, create an organization of people that are really engaged in it and are willing to kind of collaborate throughout your facility on this because browse traditionally like it depends on how your zoo's laid out but it overlaps three different departments in a lot of zoos right you've got horticulture and grounds you've got animal nutrition and you've got the zookeepers right that's three different sets of hands on your browse three different programs three different kind of different goal oriented things that the browse is kind of a fringe to each of them and so collaboration is such a key um, we'll jump on from there because once you get that team in place, I think you'd probably go through an entire grounds assessment. You'd want to make right. sure you, you know, what do you have that's browsable on site? Um, in my experience, like I can kind of throw you some resources if you want here. Um, first off, I, I'm a big advocate of joining these professional organizations. So the AAZK, you know, that classic Canadian that oh. said, um, <laughs> but um, AZAC has several different things going on with them they, they had a there's got toxic plant uh, documents they've got browse plant documents and they just did a survey of north american zoos and you know biaza probably does another one i think they have a survey out 
Um, but those organizations, that's a, that's a key component too, is that you're just kind of collaborating based on who's feeding what and what experience people have. Right. The Association of Zoological Horticulture, I am a huge advocate of theirs in the United States. They're an incredible organization doing incredible things and connecting people with plants. Right. Um, they have actually a browse and toxic plants course that's actually offered through the San Diego Zoo Global Academy. Oh, okay. So Perfect. I took that. I, I've every couple of years I revisit it because it's such an amazing course mm. and it always kind of inspires me with something new. Right. Um, so I can't recommend that enough. Um, if you want to look at something North American as well, from the nutritional standpoint, the Nutrition Advisory Group or CNS, um, the Comparative Nutrition Society. Um, those two organizations from a nutritional standpoint in zoos are really good. And they, I think the CNS, the Comparative Nutrition Society, um, they actually host a website called Forager Source, which is uh, Nancy Erlbeck, who's a university professor out in Washington. Um, she's got a, you know, super, you'd love this girl. She's, <laughs> she's so funny. But she has such a, a passion, a burning passion for right, browse. right. And so what she did was she started collecting nutritional analyses on the common browse species from different zoological institutions that she connected with and tried to start making a database there okay. of what it offers nutritionally and what species are being harvested when. Right. So that's, that's a good kind of reference if you want to pitch stuff to your uh, nutrition team to really make sure they're on board. Right, right. Um, so joining those organizations, really getting involved in that kind of global community, I'd start doing that. Um, and then, you know, Right off the bat, I would say plant when you can, right? right? So after you've done your site assessment, you look at little spaces. First of all, check your master plan. Make sure that nothing is going to be built over top of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, If yeah. your zoo is going to build a, another parking lot and you've just planted 150 trees yeah. uh, on this plot, that's it's going to be very upsetting yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure, you know, that's why that communication is so key is getting everyone yeah. kind of involved on where you're planting and why. For sure. But... Uh, I would kind of go with some of your tried and trues that you really know, like, like for example, for me, like in Canada, and I'm, it changes depending on geographic region for browse species, but mm. um, willows and poplars, you know, dogwoods, and w like we, I've done a lot of apple browse, like apple and pear and stuff. A lot of these trees take a good chunk of time to grow. Mm. So you don't want to be planting in three years when you feel like you've got a good program of harvesting from your, your site right. because your yeah, site's yeah. almost done probably at yeah. that point. Um, you probably want to get a little bit of land together and go, okay, you know, um, the reason that willows, poplars, dogwoods are so popular in browse is because they kind of hit, like, I like to think of it as a big Venn diagram. It's like, you know, it's palatable. Right. So you got that bottom circle. It's super hardy. Like it, it you know, you can cut it right back to the ground. It'll right. spring back up. Die. Yeah. Yeah. And it's relatively fast growing. Right. Right. So, and it's hardy. Like it's, so that stuff's great. So with willow, you can cut sticks that are about, you know, six to eight inches long. And as long as they're kind of as thick as your pinky finger, mm -hmm. shove them the right way up, but put them in the ground. And if you water them, they grow trees. Right. And there's, um, that's easy. there's tons of different cultivars out there. You know, that's also where you kind of get your horticulture team involved because there's ornamental varieties that, you know, you know, this is a side thing for me, but I would, I would love to do that kind of study where I'm looking mm -hmm. at ornamental cultivars and varieties of right. browse and seeing how it can, you can kind of double up on space. So if the site needs to look beautiful, which is horticulture's right, prerogative, right. but it can also be browsable, that's that's a win-win. Yeah, it is, yeah, for you sure. Know, and that's how you kind of, you, you kind of have to find these little gray area, these gold nuggets between departments where everyone is has a vested interest in your solution. Yeah, right. Um, so that's the kind of stuff I'd be looking into. And then just really keeping on top of it, like have some consistency, make sure you're checking in, make sure you're giving updates to people. 
on pushing forward. Um, it also doesn't hurt to maybe reach out, go to a conference or two. You know, there's tons of, I mean, with COVID, I know that there's a lot in question right now, but yeah. um, definitely going to conferences and collaborating with people and kind of learning what's going on at other zoos. Um, I have learned 10 times more than I thought I would going to these conferences and realizing that there's facilities that don't necessarily broadcast what they're doing, but they're doing incredible work with browse. Right. So that's, uh, that's kind of, I hope I kind of summed up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do, yeah, absolutely. How you do a program like that. So we've kind of touched on, you know, how browse is beneficial for, um, you know, animals that are browsers and that really spend a lot of their day browsing. They're, you know, getting a lot of nutritional benefit and a lot of enrichment benefit from browse. Um, do you think that there are animals, uh, you know, that aren't really considered browsers that could benefit from receiving browse? Yeah, and this is where I think this is where that gray area with enrichment comes in, right? Like it's right. it's both, but some animals lean one way or another, right? You've got those obligate browsers that are really just eating it, um, but it's highly engaging for them, so it's enrichment. But there are other animals that you can offer browse to and they don't necessarily eat it. But like, right. so I'm just thinking in general, birds, you're looking at nest building, you're looking at um, that tactility as well, you know, chopping bits up, scraping down bark off trees and stuff like that. That kind of stuff is highly engaging for a lot of different birds. Um, right. And it also kind of hits that double purpose of your natural history, your, your natural behaviors. You're able to kind of feed into that, but they're not necessarily going to be eating it. Right. Um, and that's why I think a functional browse program hits all of these up. Like even you get some rotten logs and you put um, you make sure that you got some insects around, right? Right. Yeah. Throwing absolutely. a rotten log yeah. in with you know something like yeah. the raccoons or something. Yeah, like we've that. done we've done a post about that before. That oh, really, perfect. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. But really but that good. is huge, and that yeah. that can be part of your functional browse program as long mm -hmm. as you're trying from the beginning. You have a, an overarching vision of what you want and all the animals at your facility that could right. benefit. I think that there's no reason you can't kind of trigger these little side hustles, right. if you will, on yeah, your yeah, program. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think. Um, definitely there's, uh, with, with browse, uh, in particular, um, it's very versatile in the way that you can kind of recycle it. Mm -hmm. You know, once you give it, um, if you have these kind of species pairing, um, that you can kind of make, uh, for example, like if you give, um, a bunch of browse to some caribou, mm -hmm. they're going to eat a lot of the, a lot of the bark, but they're going to leave a lot of the actual, um, like they're going to leave a lot of the actual stick left. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a large, you know, limb left just yeah. without bark. And you can kind of, if you gave that to um, wolves or something that would actually be preying upon um, caribou in the wild, it can be super enriching for them. So it's, it's really cool to be able to um, kind of recycle it after, after yeah. it's done. And, yeah. and this might be getting outside the realm of this podcast oh, as it is an enrichment this podcast. podcast has a large realm. I think there's a roller coaster we're going on here, but um this is a kind of area of browse that I've been incredibly passionate about and I, I really get excited when I talk about it. Right. So I'll try and keep low and slow here. <laughs> but um, it's when you look at your browse program and food procurement in general, browse is an incredibly green initiative at your zoo. So right. you've got a product that is harvested sustainably, like the trees aren't being cut down and dead. They're growing back every year, so they're constantly growing. Once you feed them to the animal, you can reuse them for other animals if you want, because it's all about that kind of component shift. So if something only eats leaves, that bark's still there. You can put it onto the next animal. You know, obviously with your quarantine regulations, and everything you'll watch that. But you, that's why you consult your vet team. So that kind of thing goes on. And then by the time you're at the end and you've got these sticks, uh, you know, I, I know that certain 
horticulture programs all over the country, like you might mulch them. At the end of the year, you have a stick pile anyways of all the drop trees on your site. If you mulch them, you're now using it for garden beds on site. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's it's a full circle at your right. zoo. Yeah. Um, in my personal life, you know, when I've I've had a couple pieces of browse that I've taken home, and you, I'll make walking sticks out of them, and right. it is it's an incredible story for conservation initiatives. Like, um, that I think in in the keeper community, especially when you're looking for fundraising opportunities that kind of browse angle is really cool because I yeah like I've made yeah. a couple of walking sticks that you're like hey this was eaten by the giraffe yeah and that that kind of triggers a feeling for people where you see tooth marks on it or something and yeah, you go absolutely. oh my god that kind of connection with yeah, this animal yeah. and so I, I get really yeah. excited about that kind of you're elevating your entire program not yeah. just you know nutrition not just horticulture not just animal care right it's right. your zoo that yeah. you're supporting through yeah absolutely yeah that's uh yeah there's definitely a lot of you know different things you can uh, you can do with the browse program and kind of expand it to be as you know uh, complex and uh, you know as a part of your zoo as you as you want really mm-hmm. um, you know we get this problem a lot with um, you know particular enrichment devices and this is something you hear from you know animal care staff a lot um, so just I'm gonna ask you this question with uh, respect to browse um, Say you're you offer your your browse to an animal that hasn't necessarily got it before, and it doesn't really respond to it, doesn't really eat it. You know, mm-hmm. is there steps that people can take to try to get them to eat it, to try to get them to uh, engage with it and become uh, enriched yeah. from it? Oh yeah, and I think it's important to note, like, not all browsers or not all you know browse preferers are built that way, right? And not all browse is created equal. Let's let's just look at that as a whole right, right? it's right. there are species of browse that are are more geared towards you know concentrate selectors which are the like the browsers of the group whereas you know something some grazers or something might not be able to handle certain browse species because everything has some um, this is a whole other kind of area of interest as well the plant secondary metabolites and the plant defenses um there's a lot of research going on you know pros and cons you know, benefits and detriments, if you want to get the big words in there right. for the day, um, of what these plant secondary metabolites are doing to the animal when they're being ingested. That was part of my master's degree. I really hoped I was going to get stuff out of it that was, you know, showcasing because with Willow, you know, and this is playing into my my kind of experience at this point, Willow's known for its anti-inflammatory effect, right? You got a willow bark tea or something. It's, it's the same. It's acetylsalicylic acid. Um, or, but it's silicin and its derivatives is what's okay. in willow. Right. So when I got the master's degree, you know, there were so many people that I talked to that were like, oh yeah, it's, it works like an aspirin. Like that's, you know, I assume when you feed your giraffe, it, it's going to have some sort of aspirin like effect. Interesting. And, and I looked at that and went, okay, well, is it though? Like, right. Cause we're, we're anthropomorphizing medicine at this point and saying, well, you know, the animal has been geared in its life history towards eating this kind of material. Whereas I, you know, we, I don't think definitively have. So can you really compare one or the other and say it has this effect on us? It will have this effect on them when they right, are fundamentally right. built differently with different chemical profiles. Like, you know, there's, I'm going to just touch on this, but proline rich proteins in their saliva at much higher quantities than you or I have to bind to all these plant secondary metabolites to free up proteins so that they're actually able to digest them. Um, that was one of the questions that came up for me was this kind of weird Right. Well, maybe I'll get something out of that, but 
I forget where I'm even going with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, ori- uh, the original question was, uh, you know, what steps that can you can you yeah. as an animal care professional uh, take to actually get your animal? Yeah. Uh, I told to you this was going to be a roller coaster. No, that's, that was that <laughs> was very interesting. So, so with that kind of stuff, wait, what steps can you take? That browse angle, just looking into and researching the browse species you're going to offer, right, making sure not they're all cleared. Species are going to. They're, yeah. they're not all yeah. going to be super right. palatable. I don't Some know if any not. of you have worked with pandas or red oh, pandas. Dear or God. It's, if you, they can all look the same, but if it's yeah. one species versus another, it's, yeah. yeah. That one looked at me funny, right, so I'm right. not going to eat yeah. that bamboo. Yeah. You know. That kind of stuff is... is <laughs> well, Oops, Kyle's micro- having technical difficulties. Microphone took a tumble there. Sorry. Yeah. But, um, yeah, with, with a lot of different species of browse, like, it's... That's why you want to have a little bit of a repertoire. Like, bulk production's good. If you only have willow... That's that's fine, but you're gonna have to accept that at some point you'll hit animals that do not want to eat what you're putting down. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why it's nice to have several different species that you can kind of lean to and look at and say, okay, I'll, right. I'll, I'm gonna offer them up. First of all, you know, with any program, you're consulting your vets, consulting your nutritionist. Right. Um, making sure that's all okay first, above board, right off the bat. Don't be just feeding random stuff. Yeah, you stuff. can't just you can't just try it and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's a fundamental no no in yeah, zoos. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't just try it. Yeah, and then just throw come it back in. later. Yeah. And I didn't know. Yeah, develop a like an implementation yeah. plan. Yeah, use your spider here. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. Um, make sure everyone knows what's going on. Start off with small quantities. Offer it over a longer period of time. It might just, it could be seasonality as well. That's that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily consider. Someone, I've, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, this animal doesn't eat willow, period, right? And you don't necessarily realize that it's, you know, it can be cultivar specific. So there's so much variability within a species. Um, and then on top of that, your seasonality changes your entire um, nutritional profile for one. Right, but, right. But it's just based on you know new growth at the beginning of your season versus age growth at the end. So your fiber right. content changes, your protein content changes. So being willing to kind of have a more longitudinal approach on browse and being willing to kind of revisit things as they go. Nothing should be set in stone. That I think is a key component of a, a good program for right. you. Right, right. And really a good wanna, kind of motto. Really want to try as many things out as you as you can with each animal. And, yeah, and, uh, and within reason, like making sure and, yeah. that it's a coordinated approach. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But being willing yeah. to try a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Well, Ben, uh, we're almost uh, we're almost at an hour here, so oh, felt uh, like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> ben could talk about uh, browse for hours and uh, hours and hours, but that was very very informative, and I think a lot of people can take uh, a lot from that. Um, so we really appreciate uh, you coming on, Ben. You definitely have to come again because I think uh, you know I think this is this is a good thing, and we should oh, uh, I, keep it going. I absolutely loved coming on, and I, I hope that people find it interesting and not extremely absolutely. boring. It was like, very very interesting. We weren't yeah. aiming yeah. for like a podcast yeah. to put you to sleep, but no, uh, <laughs> no absolutely not. I, I think I think uh, you know this kind of conversation and really. Um, thinking about what is actually enriching for the animal as opposed to putting things in boxes is super important for the you oh, know, future of a lot of these nutrition and enrichment programs uh, kind of going forward. So yeah. I think it's very important and we're very, very uh, lucky to have somebody as knowledgeable as you on the podcast. So we really appreciate you coming okay. on. The uh, key, key takeaway here is just try browse out. Right. You'll, you'll like it. Browse. <laughs> yeah. More browse. browse. Just do it. Just more browse. More browse. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really hoping to do some more, uh, you know, long form podcasts like this. 
with informative guests like Ben. Um, so thank you so much uh, for listening. It was a little bit longer of a podcast, but I think it was very informative and it was uh, definitely needed. So if you guys have any questions at all about uh, browse or anything talked about, in this podcast, definitely feel free to message me. I'll pass along any questions to Ben. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time.